Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you all today. We are so delighted uh, that you could join us today on this uh, Friday, um, on this Friday of June, where are we at right now? There we go, June the 19th, June 19th of 2020, as we are heading into this weekend. Uh, so many... Um, exciting things that are happening and around the world and, and and in our country so many changes so many things that are that are taking place around us if we have ears to hear we will hear what the spirit of the lord is saying but uh as we go into the weekend uh, i know uh, i just want to take the time to to wish each and every one of you fathers a happy fathers day at uh, this sunday will be the 21st where we celebrate Father's Day. Uh, I consider that one of the biggest uh, privileges that we as men have to be father. And one thing that I've learned in, in just in my little time of, of being a father for now, 18 going on 19 years, that's, that's the age of my oldest son, uh, I've learned so much uh, through the years, especially for my heavenly father, amen. <laughs> But I, but in order to to really experience fatherhood, you must first be a good husband. <laughs> to be a good father, you got to be a good husband first. And to be a good husband, you got to learn uh, to be a child of God. Amen. And so we want to wish each and every one of you a happy Father's Day this week, and we pray that you enjoy it. For those of you who who still have the opportunity to spend time with your father, that uh, it would be a pleasant time, either with your children, you as a father, or with your fathers. So we are ready to get into the Word of God. This is Friday. We're about to go into the weekend, and uh, we may be concluding. It looks like we're going to be concluding our, our series on the Ten Virgins. And yesterday was such a tremendous time that we had in studying the things that uh, the Lord was 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 showing us concerning the oil, uh, concerning Jesus and Gethsemane, and, and so many things that came out. And I would I would advise you to go back and, and listen to it again, because there's so much that you can glean from it. It's a pleasure, as always, to be with the panel, Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, uh, to be able to study the Word of God, as always. It is an honor to do that. So, Brother Marty, on this Friday, we leave it to you to share uh, what God has placed in your heart, as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We're beginning again today in Matthew chapter 25. <laughs> We've come to the third part of, of our series on the on the uh, the wise and the foolish virgins that Jesus uh, gave uh, in an answer to a question that was given to him and posed to him by his disciples on the Mount of Olives. In Matthew 24, verse 3, three questions were asked of the Lord. Uh, first, he revealed to them that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and the temple would be would be destroyed, not leaving one stone upon another. Uh, and and the disciples uh, came to him and asked him, when, when shall these things be? That's the first question they asked. The second question they said, what will be the sign of your coming? Uh, the second question, and then the third question was, and the end of the world. So from that point on, the Lord begins in Matthew 24, all the way through the end of the chapter of Matthew 24, to unveil the prophetic events that would lead uh, up to his second coming. Uh, 
And when he gets to Matthew 25, as we've been discussing, and we encourage you again to go back and listen to the first two parts, there's a lot of really good information there the Lord has, has shown and revealed in his word. He gets to Matthew 25, and he begins to answer the third question as it relates to uh, when shall the end of the world or the end of the age be? When will all these things come to pass? And that is what we saw uh, and have been discussing in, in, uh, in the last two days his answer to that question because he left specific signs specific characteristics speaking very symbolically metaphorically allegorically all fancy words you know which basically you know clues and keys to what that end time generation should be looking for to identify themselves as that particular church that would see the return of the lord and so before we begin our discussion today, uh, and, and we'll see, you know, I don't want to rush through these things, but uh, we'll see if we can bring a conclusion to this today, but we'll see. And uh, so we'll begin today, and I, I'd like Brother Jeremy to begin reading uh, from verse 4, and if you could read all the way through verse 10. Matthew 25, verse 4 through verse 10, Brother Jeremy, in the name of Jesus, we pray as we read the word of God. Amen. Amen. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil. For our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. And the door was shut. So we're going to be discussing today uh, <clears throat> primarily from verse 6 through 10, uh, verse 6 re referencing, this is part 3 again, uh, we've come to the place where um, at midnight the cry is, is made. It is the very thing that alerts and, and brings to a, a position of being awake again uh, of, the, of the virgins that, that slumbered and slept. But remember again what we're talking about here. In verse 1, we revealed, uh, or what was revealed to us, that there appears to be a triggering event uh, that, that will take place, as Jesus was telling the story in Matthew 25, 1, a triggering event that set all 10 of these virgins out uh, to go forth and meet the bridegroom. So we know that, that this event, uh, and we've discussed it in part one and two, which we encourage you to go back and listen, is something that sets off the end-time church with a heightened expectation that Jesus is about to return. And so they all go forth in verse one. They go forth to meet the Lord, taking their lamps. And as we discussed before, those lamps, uh, you can look it up in Psalm 119, verse 105, where the Lord says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the, the story the Lord's telling here, again, like we said uh, a few seconds ago, he's speaking very symbolically, speaking in metaphor and allegory, but they're keys. Again, don't be thrown off by the fancy words, right? They're keys. They're hidden nuggets. Uh, if we'll take the time to meditate and, and, and really focus on what he's saying, 
it begins to enlarge to us an understanding and specifically it's designed to bring an understanding to the church that would find themselves when these events begin to transpire looking to these stories and beginning to realize we have entered those days and the lord is about to come so that triggering event that we spoke about that takes place in verse one which sets them off to go meet the bridegroom uh, we believe is the is the outpouring of the holy spirit at the beginning of the 20th century as well as the capturing of jerusalem by the uh, British Army under General Allenby, which triggered the church of that time in the beginning of the 20th century from 1904 to 1917, 1918 in there. It let the church know that the prophecies had begun. Because basically from Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter 1, when the book of Acts begins and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred in the church at the beginning, uh, it, it, the church sets off and becomes the church and the church grows and, and Christianity spreads into the known world and and, de- and becomes the developing uh, impetus or the power behind the development of, the, of Western civilization and Western culture. But then it sets into a lull and, and, and it appears that, that uh, in relation to what Jesus was telling the apostles, right, that <clears throat> and, and their question, what shall be the sign of the end of the world, he then takes us into that future time, which we believe is our time, and speaks of a triggering event for the church that then is. And so, and, and remember what we were talking about in the last couple of days, that he mentions 10 virgins, and we talked to you guys about that before, those of you that have been following us, that 10 is the number of completion within the scripture and other things, but primarily 10 is a full circle, a full completed manifestation or, or, or completed act or whatever it may be. It, it speaks of fullness and completion virgins as we mentioned before jesus is using that language so that we will understand from a jewish perspective what the virgins represent are are those that are engaged to be married we talked about that being symbolic of the time that jesus spoke of the new covenant at the last supper right he lifts up the wine and the bread and he says this is my body which shall be given for you broken for you this is my blood when he picked up the cup which shall be shed for you. It's a new and an everlasting covenant. Well, in the Jewish mind, when you hear those words, what he was literally doing was setting forth a new covenant or a new document whereby he was he was uh, inviting all those who would participate in that to become engaged to him, to become the promised bride. And then at that point in Jewish custom, the the the, the promised uh, you know the groom, the bridegroom, if you will, he goes away. And he begins to prepare a place, like Jesus said he would in John chapter 4, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. He's speaking about marriage. He's speaking about covenant. And so uh, that is exactly what he's done. In the Jewish custom, whenever the bride would be promised, a covenant or a contract was drawn up, which Jesus did. Then a dowry is, is paid, right? You pay a price for the bride, which Jesus did on Calvary by shedding his blood, thank thank God. And he rose from the dead. Now, he pays the price. He, he's instituted the covenant. And his bride, it, represented by, by a virgin, right, because she keeps herself chaste, or supposed to, until the return of the promised uh, you know, bridegroom, who, who will then come and get her, take her away, and then marry her, and, and have a great wedding feast. But anyway, so, so when the Lord told the disciples in John chapter 14 that he was going to prepare a place, that's what he's referencing. 
he's referencing, okay, I've established this contract. I still have to pay the price, which he would do on Calvary, but I'm going to go away and prepare a place. And like I said, in Jewish custom, that was the, that was the, uh, the steps that had to be taken before the bride and the groom could actually be married. So Jesus did the first part, the contract uh, at the Last Supper, <clears throat> the new covenant. The second part, you know, paying the price for the bride, he, he did on Calvary and rose from the dead, showing that the price had been accepted. And the third part, he goes away and he begins to build a room or make a place for his bride attached to his father's house. That's Jewish custom. So when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that's literally what he was referencing. I'm going to go to my father's house, praise God, in heaven yes, yes. and prepare a place right. for you that where I am, right, you may be also. And, and, he, and he said this, and, and, and if it wasn't so, he said, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place that where I am, there you may be also. And then he says, uh, and if I go to prepare a place, he's talking like a bridegroom, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's the part we're waiting for. But you see, yeah. the other three parts are, have already happened or are happening. He, he has been constructing that, that additional room on his father's house for the true bride, for, yes. for his bride that he's coming back. Now, when, when the house or the construction of the added room on the house is added in Jewish custom, it is the father that then it, 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 uh, examines what has been built. And then he looks at his son and he tells him it's it's ready now you can go get your bride which is really really cool because <laughs> remember what jesus said no man knows the day or the hour not even the angels of heaven but only my father in heaven knows when i'm coming back that's why because when the master builder his son the lord jesus christ has finished building that house and the father himself inspects it he tells jesus okay now go get your bride <laughs> Oh man, yeah. that's what we're waiting for, right? <laughs> Brother Marty, it, 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 yes, it's, it's, it's very beautiful because um, the purpose for the bridegroom to go back home to his father's house, like you said, is is to begin preparation to build a dwelling place, right, for him yes. and his bride, where they're going to live together, and 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 this had to be an ardent, meticulous work, yes. and and this work in Jewish custom could take sometimes a year or so. Or, or like you said, until the father gave the approval of this added room, right, to his house. Because <laughs> yeah. the house yeah. that he went is in the father's house. <laughs> Hallelujah. That he's building. That's right. Right, in the, you know, that he went to go. I just wanted to bring that out. It's just a meticulous. And, and while, that's, while that's taking place, it's what the Jews call the great separation or the torment of separation while you wait, right? Right. For, for the bridegroom to come. So, uh. These are all, uh, which you know, these are all the traditions that you know. When Jesus is talking about the ten virgins, he's giving it to them from a traditional uh, Jewish wedding and the process of it, which is so beautiful with the way uh, you're explaining it, Brother Marty. Praise God! Yeah, no, that's really good. I like that too. Where where the bride, she's meant to be that way. We actually see in in the Song of Solomon a reflection of that. If you ever actually read it and study the Song of Solomon. You'll see that that that's basically a portrayal of, of of the one espoused to her beloved, right? She's waiting for him yes. to return, and um, and one day we'll look into that, Lord willing. But but yeah, that, but but in the meantime, she's just agonizing and waiting. The days go by, and she's waiting for him to come. 
And that's what you said right. the, the Jewish people say, right? That 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 interim period of agony or torment. Well, what's really sad is that the Lord himself said that when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth, right? When we see right. the, the seventh church in the book of Revelation, we see that the door is shut to the one that they're supposed to be married to. He stands on the outside of the door knocking, asking them to open the door to him. And so there's all kinds of hints in Scripture of two classifications of churches that will be existing just before his return. And that's why he goes on in verse 2 through 4 to begin to to separate the churches by and, and categorize them into a wise and a foolish bride or, or, or a wise and a foolish church. Because they both set off together. It's, it's one completed in-time move and and that uh, represented by the ten virgins but then in verse two and four he begins to draw our attention to the oil the, the oil as we were discussing in the previous two parts is necessary for light and, and which which reveals to us that the lamp which is a type of the word of god cannot be separated from the oil or you will not have complete understanding you need the light and you need the lamp a lamp without light is worthless right? <laughs> a lamp with, without light is worthless. So then right. we talked about yesterday, the oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is always, besides comforting us, guiding us, and, and revealing the Lord to us, it is always to, ref, to reveal to us what is to come. He always reveals prophecy. Do you remember, Brother Jeremy, can you go over there? Because I'm going to have Brother Fernando share a little bit about the Mount of Olives real quick right here, which I think is appropriate because yeah. that's where the oil was given. But can you turn over to First Timothy chapter 4? Well, but for now, share yeah. a little bit of what you were saying about the Mount of Olives and the oil. Yeah, yesterday we made a, uh, I think, a, we found a key, as you mentioned, a powerful key to unlock uh, the parable of the ten virgins concerning the uh, reserve or additional oil that the the, the five wise virgins had um, in, in their vessels when when the call came forth to uh, wake up and meet the bridegroom, um, and it's it's like Jesus uh, left a hidden key in the previous chapter where he's he's on he's teaching uh, in Matthew 24, which is called the Mount Olivet Discourse, and he's in the Mount of Olives where you get your wine from, and, and the wine is is excuse me, not the wine, but the oil is pressed from uh the, the olives and right. and you get the you get the the uh the oil. Um and so it's it's almost like he's where he's teaching them from, he's giving them the clue at, in regards to the oil in the vessels. Um and, and, and not just where he's teaching from, but where he's teaching from and what he's teaching. There you go. Right? Yeah. Which is end time prophecy. And and it unlocks the parable in that the oil necessary, uh, mm -hmm. or and, and and what it entails, the the illumination, the the the, the prophetic uh, revelation in it, uh, has to do with the revelation concerning what he taught in Matthew 24. Uh, on the Mount so of Olives. On the Mount <laughs> of Olives. So what he yeah. so what he is saying is that there is an end time generation. Uh, an end time church composed of five really there's ten virgins but only five uh, uh, wise virgins will have the revelation concerning or unlocking Matthew 24 at the end of time yes 
um, and they will begin to uh, uh, see the prophecy prophecy being fulfilled in their day. Um, so I thought that was that was a very powerful uh, uh, truth and, and revelation that that the Lord gave us yesterday, which opens up this parable uh, in such a way where um, you know we can dig and dig more into it. So I thought that was powerful. That's what, yeah, that's really good uh, insight there, and really really well put because it is true. He draws our attention again in the in the end of the world or the end of the age. He says that that uh you know the oil is a necessary thing to have he calls them wise right then we talked about yesterday wise uh let me let's look up this definition in my uh notes here i had from yesterday uh the word wise literally means uh let's see it it speaks of having come having parts of the heart uh that have been developed and and contain the faculty of of reception to what the spirit is saying it's able to receive the wooing of the spirit and it's also a heart and a life that is thoughtful and of a cautious character which is very right. interesting that word a cautious character why is that commended as wise well we see that in the fact that they took oil just in case something might come up <laughs> right? right. I mean, right. Uh, they weren't content with just what they already had burning brightly in their lamps. We know the lamps mm -hmm. were already lit because by the time we get to verse nine of this parable, the the foolish turn to the wise and say, "Our lamps have gone out. They've gone out. They're not going out. They've gone out. We have no oil mm -hmm. left because right because we didn't make provision." We didn't take the oil, <clears throat> but like we were saying, what the therefore the Lord, what the Lord is revealing by the taking of the oil is it's going to be necessary to to have with the lamp at the time that the cry goes forth. And if you don't have it, you're not going to be able to see clearly in the darkness of the midnight hour to make your way all the way to meet the bridegroom. And so that's what he's revealing. And so what we were saying earlier was that the oil is the Holy Spirit. It always is. It represents the Holy Spirit. And, and and what the Holy Spirit primarily comes to do is to reveal Christ to us. And what the Lord yes. said was to to reveal things to come. Remember, he said in Revelation 19 that the testimony of Jesus Christ is what the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, of prophecy. So the right, oil is right. necessary. The Spirit is necessary to be added to to get fuller illumination on who the Lord Jesus is, what his mission, his purpose. And, and 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 his return and the events surrounding his return return will be can only be discerned as the spirit reveals it and timothy in first timothy chapter 4 paul further adds to that truth that you need the spirit and that the spirit will reveal in times things in the way that he spoke to timothy about the spirit and how the spirit talks can you just read that first verse brother brother jeremy yes now the spirit speaketh expressively that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Right. So we could talk to about all that, but basically what we wanted to point out there, again, just to add another little bit of scripture there as to the Holy Spirit is necessary and his function is to bring understanding about end time events, about prophecy. 
And that's why Paul connects the Spirit and how the Spirit speaks to Timothy. He reveals that the Spirit speaks expressly about the latter times, right? And so we see a little hint there that you cannot understand what is future or what is prophecy or understanding of prophecy without the Spirit revealing it to you. And so that's why Jesus called them wise, because they had the kind of heart and the personality developed within their heart by the Spirit to be receptive to what it is that God was saying and would say. And so then, and, and, and then also that they have a cautious nature, which implies they, they are wise and prudent. You know, because uh, like my my dad used to say, if it appears too good to be true, it probably isn't true, right? It's that kind Brother of... Marty. Yeah. And I'm sorry to interrupt. There's a, a, a nice layer to this, too. We know that it is at the cross that Jesus Christ paid the price, but he needed to go through Gethsemane first. You know, at the Mount Olives, at, at that place, at that place of pressing the oil, he needed that reserve, you know, in preparation for yeah. what was to what what he was about to go through, right? So yes, right. he paid the price at Calvary, but Gethsemane was a crucial part of that. You know, yeah. uh, you know, he was wise in that sense. He knew that he needed to go, and because the Bible says that at the end. When his when he saw that his his disciples you know the the three that were closer there to him did not pray with him for one hour, but at the end we see angels ministering to him you know, uh, yes. ministering and preparing his body preparing him for what he's about to face. So even yes. Jesus understood the importance of having a reserve, you know, and, and that's what the oil represents too, right? We're gonna right. need that reserve in this hour. You know, we're, we're well, not going to be able to to wing it, right? But that, I just wanted to point that out. No, and that's 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 good, you know. And 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 we were talking about because the Lord uses very descriptive language. He said the wise take the oil; they took oil in their vessels. We talked about that yesterday in Jude about how they build up their most holy faith, right? Praying in the Holy Spirit. What is our most holy faith? Well, Peter ta- calls our most holy faith receiving the end of your faith, right? which is the salvation of your soul. And the salvation yeah. of our souls occurs at the return of the Lord. I mean, even though we're saved now, he's talking about the completion of it, where that where faith gives way to absolute solid reality, that the Lord has returned and he separates the sheep from the goats and our souls are saved by Jesus Christ. And in the end, we belong to him forever. And like we're talking about, again, like you mentioned right there, the spirit is required to endure. The spirit is required to reveal. Uh, you made me yeah. think of a scripture when you were saying that. Take a look at First uh, John chapter 1. Can you go over there, Brother Jeremy? Yes, yes. You made me think of that while you were talking here. Um, John says something, and it can easily go by us if we don't, if we don't see uh, the John the Baptist, that is. He talks yes. about something that the Father revealed to him, John the Baptist, and he said that the that the thing that would identify the Lord was something that we're talking about. Are you there in John chapter one? Yes, I'm. Yes, I'm there. Uh, read read verse thirty two through thirty four. In line of this oil necessary, the Holy Spirit necessary to illuminate the Word, to make sense of the Word, to identify the Word, to give light to the Word. And the word we know is Jesus. Go ahead, brother. 
32. This is good. And John bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which, which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, so here we see that John is saying here that I didn't even know who Jesus was. I had been spoken to and given uh, a future insight by the Father, the one speaking to me in the wilderness, right? And he says, the Father said, who you see the Holy Spirit, and which John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit as a dove descending. And he says, and when you see the Spirit land on him, that's the Son of God. That's the Lord. So what John was revealing there to us, if we can see it, is that we cannot see or even understand or really know the Lord without the Spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying. You will not be able to understand, discern the times, or make sense of the chaos that's going to be occurring at the midnight hour without the Spirit. And so that is why he calls and commends them for being wise, right? Do you see that, what we're saying? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Amen. Yes. It's a principle. We need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no illumination. And we have no illumination about the Lord, the Son of God, and his eminent return. So moving on from there, the taking of the oil, we could spend hours talking about that because that is that is really uh in, it involves prayer, consecration, preparation, um, development of relationship and, and so forth and so on. But <laughs> That is what we should be doing now, right? Because uh, the, the door's closing, man. I mean, the 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 time that will define. Now, listen, let's get to verse 5 of Matthew 25 as we hurry here. In Matthew 25, after the wise are commended for taking oil in their vessels with the word, with their lamp, uh, it says something very interesting. It says that the bridegroom tarried, verse 5, and that they all slumbered and slept, <clears throat> which is very interesting. I was thinking about it uh, this morning, um, and and, uh, and and again, like we talked about in verse one, they set off. We were talking that uh, we believe that occurred uh, that something alerted or triggered an end time end of the world church. Uh, and we asked yesterday, you know, have we seen something like that? Has there been oil present with prophetic events occurring at the same time that would excite? a church of any given age that the, the return of the Lord is eminent? Yes. We saw that at the beginning Absolutely. of the 21st century, right? The outpouring yes. of the oil, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit beginning in 1904, 1906. And really it was building up to that as we talked about the great awakening of the 19th century, giving into the 20th century, which was first a move of repentance and holiness amongst the church that then was, you know, at the close of the 19th century. And then in 1904, a young man by the name of Evan Roberts, uh, God used as a vessel to institute a great outpouring in the beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Wales, in England, which made its way all the way across the ocean to the United States of America. And God chose a, a Pastor William Seymour, an African-American man, and, and had him move all the way to Los Angeles, California. And there he began 
to seek God. And that, that's the famous Azusa Street outpouring. And from there, like Brother Fernando pointed out yesterday, um, you know, the gospel basically began. And and, uh, and 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 missionaries went all over the world uh, evangelizing to such an extent as had not been seen really since the beginning of the early church in the book of Acts. But coupled with that outpouring, which is what we are saying is the oil, came also an event that triggered the early church of the 19th, excuse me, of the 20th century to anticipate that the Lord was coming. He's going to be coming at any moment. And I, and I read from that book yesterday. Uh, that was written in 1917 by H.C. Morrison, uh, who was a scholar uh, of scholars in that day. And they were anticipating the Lord coming at any moment, as we quoted from that book yesterday. Go back and listen to it at the end of uh, part two's uh, podcast uh, on this subject. He said then, and you guys remember from yesterday, he said, my goodness, uh, this this capture of Jerusalem, it, it, it hasn't happened in 2,000 years. That, uh, that that Jerusalem has been under the control of, of Christians uh, at all or Jews, this, and and they knew then that this is a sign that Jesus is going to come back because Jerusalem is being brought under the under the uh, protection and and custody of the Christian West now, which gave way to the Balfour Declaration of 1918, which gave the right of Jews who had been scattered to the four corners of the earth the right of return. And so as we put forth, that, that ignited the church. So we have oil and prophecy events taking place at the same time. But then Jesus says something really interesting is that the bridegroom tarries. So that early church of the 20th century really, really anticipated his return at any moment. But he didn't come back when they thought he would. And so it appeared as if he wasn't or they were mistaken. But that's not the case because he uses the words in verse 5. He says they slumbered and slept, which is very interesting because the word slumbered means that they nodded off. So think about that. To nod off is to like, you know, you're tired and you're just like falling asleep. If you've ever been sitting in a chair and you just find yourself falling asleep and once your your neck kind of goes down, you wake up again, you know, and then you kind of fall asleep and you wake up again. Well, that's what he's saying would happen after they set off. So they they would go from a, a place of being awakened because of events that triggered them that he's coming, and it caused an emotional excitement. You know, they set off. But it appears that because, you know, he uses the word nodding off. And you and I, we know, those of you listening, when you nod off in your chair or you're just sitting there, you're so tired and you just kind of fall asleep, you instantly snap back awake. And then you get tired and you fall back asleep, you snap back away until finally you just go to sleep. But there's that fighting, that sleep that takes place. And so he's very specific about what he said would happen. They would set off to meet the bridegroom. The wives would gather oil. In other words, participate in an outflow of oil. Some would, some wouldn't. The wise would, the foolish wouldn't. But in the interim, as their, their thinking is about to come back, he uses the word slumbered because I think what he was revealing was that there would be moments and spaces of time in between where the emotion of, of 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 an obvious prophetic fulfillment would give way to a tiredness in waiting, and then a yes. light sleep kind of occurs, right? You know, it seemingly indicates a rapid sequence of events that would occur with brief spaces in between, which would uh, you know, uh, which would cause us to nod off, and then we would awaken again. And I was thinking about that because because that's what happened. 
They went in from, from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the 20th century, the recapturing of Jerusalem in 1917, the Balfour Declaration coming out of World War I, allowing the Jews to return to Palestine. And so they're wide awake. But all of a sudden, he didn't come. So from like 1918 until 1939, nothing really is going on. And, and it's like the events stop and they start to wane and get sleepy. And, they, and they're not fully asleep yet, but they are not, they begin to nod off. And then World War I, II occurs. And out of World War II, suddenly we have six million Jews about to be, you know, that were burned in the ovens of Hitler. Many people, if you go back and read the, the early writings of, of, of the, you know, the prophecy guy back in World War II, they actually thought Hitler was the Antichrist. And that Mussolini right. coming from Rome was the false prophet. You read some of those old prophecy books, it's quite fascinating what they thought. So they're awake again, right? They went from nodding off to, oh, we're awake because another event took place. Well, Hitler was a type of the Antichrist, and definitely the spirit of Antichrist was flowing through him, but he wasn't the Antichrist. But what's interesting is that out of World War II, suddenly another prophetic event occurred, which allowed the Jews to become an actual nation state. Remember? They felt so sorry for the Jews, and they let them go back to Israel, and they gave them a piece of land in their old homeland. And suddenly they were they were a nation again in 1948. And so we went from a light sleep. Oh, we're we're fully awake again. And and subsequently from that point on, they would have spaces of in between. There'd be like a few years go by, nothing would happen. Then 1956, right? Uh, I think it was Abdul Nasser uh, decides he's going to attack Israel, <laughs> and and uh, and Egypt and all the Arabs are trying to destroy Israel, and it looks like Israel is going to be wiped off the face of the map. But then God, you know, moves on them really quickly, and everybody's awake again. They they come out of their light sleep, and oh my God, this is it—the bridegroom's coming. But he didn't come, and so it appears when he says they slumbered that what he was referring to was there would be an event that would trigger them going out, and then there'd be subsequent spaces in between prophetic events occurring. And it's the spaces in between that would get them tired and in that place of kind of nodding off. And then when he says they slept, it seems that it will seem to be a longer period of time that these, these continuous events actually produce a slumber, a sleep, where they fully fall asleep. Because remember, we see the same prophetic type. Go back and listen to what I'm telling you, because this is good stuff. <laughs> Not because I'm saying it, because this is how it is, man. Uh, <laughs> we, see that, we see that prophetic type in the Garden of Gethsemane <clears throat> when Jesus goes, right, in the place of yeah. the Mount of Olives, where the oil is, and he goes how many times? Three times, right? That's good. He has, That's good. He yes. has to wake them up. The first time, he and, and the Bible is very descriptive there. It says their eyes were heavy. You know, they were mm -hmm. trying to stay awake. They couldn't stay away. And then finally, when he comes the third time, uh, they're not even fighting it anymore. As a matter of fact, he just says, go ahead and sleep on, man. <laughs> right. the, the hour is come. So, uh, you know, this is, this is all very much, you know, hints, keys, nuggets, little things to look at to give us a fuller understanding. So they reach that place where they eventually all fall asleep. Yes. Right. But then we come to verse six. It's until midnight, right? It's midnight. 
But this time is different because they all wake up and, and, and it becomes clear that the Lord is referencing to me at least that the final um, time has arrived, you know, because what we have here is very interesting. He references midnight, right? And, and, and then he says, there's a cry made. So midnight is, he draws our attention to midnight. He draws our attention to a cry being made. Verse six. He tells them to wake up. Behold, why? The bridegroom cometh. And then he says, go ye out to meet him. So there's a lot there. And we'll just, mm -hmm. I just want to focus on one thing really quick right now. And I just want to briefly mention it. And we'll get into it deeper in, in, the, in the days ahead if the Lord allows. Because the Lord uses the word midnight. And, okay. and, and what, <laughs> when we study it in the future, what we're going to realize is this. And I'm just going to throw these, you guys can study it on your own time, those of you that are listening. All, every time midnight is used in the Bible, it has a last day reference. It, it, it has hidden clues, hidden meanings. Every story around midnight in the Bible has to deal with the second coming of the Lord and what it will be like. Now, if you'll if you'll study this out, what you'll see is that there there are nine midnights referenced in the Old Testament, and there are six midnights represented in the New Testament. And 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 let's just go through these really quick, and we'll study these in the coming days, Lord willing. Because each one can be dug into, and great revelation uh, can be can be <laughs> can be shown to us. And uh, now, th in the book of Exodus, is the first time that midnight is is referenced in Exodus eleven verse four and in Exodus sixteen verse twenty twenty nine. In both cases, it's dealing with the deliverance of the children of Israel, the destroyer coming, and the protection of God's people, resulting in them being taken out of that dangerous situation. Exodus, two midnights mentioned there. The, the the third one is Samson. When Samson rises at midnight in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 16, verse 3, he carries the city gates all the way to Mount Hebron. <laughs> this is awesome stuff, but I ain't got time to explain to you what all that means, as I understand it at least, humbly submitted for your consideration. He goes to Hebron, which is where the king is, is is crowned, where David would be crowned, right? The type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gates, right? The gates of hell shall not prevail against. Right? Anyway, so then we go to the fourth thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the fourth midnight mention is Ruth, the Gentile, laying at the feet of Boaz at midnight is when he awakens and sees his bride at his feet. Ruth chapter 3, verse 8. You're not going to find this in your commentaries, trust me. And, and, and I say that, so pray for me so I don't get a crossover into vanity. <laughs> uh, <chapter. laughs> so verse five, right? Verse five. I mean, the fifth time it's mentioned is when Solomon has to determine uh, the true uh, woman from the false woman, the one that tells the truth, the one that's lying. When he deals with the two women that have babies, right? One of the babies dies at midnight which brings it to a crisis controversy and an event 
uh, where Solomon takes the sword and threatens to destroy the baby, exposing who the real woman's uh, mother is of the child. Uh, and, and there's a whole, there's all that there has so much to do with with the two churches at the end of the age. But again, the event is triggered by a midnight, uh, a midnight uh, in in First Kings chapter three, verse twenty. The 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 uh, the sixth one in the Old Testament is is found in the book of Job chapter thirty four verse twenty, um, where it's revealed there that at midnight judgment will be poured out on the wicked, which is really powerful. And the whole passage in there is a revelation of the coming of the Lord, and and again at midnight. So then the seventh and final one is referenced by King David in Psalm one nineteen verse sixty two which is um, where he describes that the final righteous judgments of God will come into the earth at the end of time at midnight. Psalm 119, verse 62. So there's seven of them in the Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, there are it, 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 it's different because there are three poetic descriptions of midnight or metaphors, and then there's three actual midnight events. So interestingly, if you leave out the three allegory metaphor mentions to midnight, that leaves you three actual midnight events. And if you take those three actual midnight events and add them to the seven actual midnight events of the Old Testament, that gives you 10. So it's interesting. There's 10 virgins in this story. Anyway, at midnight, yeah. right? <laughs> I know. Now I know. I wish I had time to go through all this stuff. So look, but if we just look at the metaphors, it's interesting. The three metaphors in the New Testament uh, is <clears throat> they're all parables. First, we're looking at one right now. It's the parable of the ten virgins, right? Uh, the, there's a midnight cry. The, the other one is in Mark chapter 13, verse 35. It's it's it speaks of you don't know what hour the Lord's coming, whether it's in the morning or at midnight, at midnight or in the morning. So he references midnight there. And then in Luke chapter eleven, verse five, he speaks about the three loaves of bread, right? And the guy coming at midnight needing bread. <laughs> All right. So again, three midnight. But the actual three midnights that occur um uh, are found all in the book of Acts. And each and every single one of them has to do with the coming of the Lord. We could, we, and I hope the Lord allows us to do this because if we go through every one of these midnight, um, it's so fascinating what the Lord reveals to us there and what's hidden yeah. in the term midnight. So the the actual stories that uh, the first one is the Book of Acts, chapter sixteen, verse twenty-five. That's Paul and Silas in the prison, and what are they doing? They're praying at midnight, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and suddenly right. the jails are open and they're set free. Hallelujah. And then the, 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 uh, the second one is mentioned is Paul is, is in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. He's preaching all the way up to midnight and a boy falls out a window. And what does he do? He goes down at midnight and raises him from the dead. All right. We ain't got time right. to get it all that. But you can <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. And then the third one and final one, the final midnight is mentioned, is in the book of Acts, right? Chapter 27, verse 27. It's the great shipwreck. And and it's at midnight where where Paul and the sailors on the ship are saved. And there's a whole series of events 
where the storm is raging on the sea and all kinds of stuff we ain't got time to get into. But but we'll go in through these things and see. Now, why'd you say all that, Brother Marty? Because every midnight reference in Scripture has hidden keys to unlock understanding as to the timing of the return of the Lord. And so that's right. why Jesus is using this phrase at midnight, because he wants us to understand that when the midnight hour arrives, it is the culmination. It is, it is the clearest message he's giving at the end of the world, that this is what he, when he's coming and how we at the end can identify and know that it's time. That cry that's being made is, is, is coming from someone like Brother Fernando said the other day. Why don't you just extrapolate what you see there, Brother Fernando? A cry is made. Who does that represent to you? And what does it also tell us about not everybody was asleep, right? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, when we read the parable, we, we think the Bible says clearly that all ten fell asleep. And we know that, that sleeping has a, has a connotation that, you know, they're, they're not spiritually awake. And 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 I always it always bothered me because if the five were wise, why would they fall asleep? You know, they should be right. awake, right? And yeah. so I, I didn't know I didn't know how to really interpret that. But then you realize not everyone was asleep because right. obviously somebody made a cry, and 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 his cry was the bridegroom cometh, right? He is coming. So immediately what the Lord, I feel, was, was showing us, uh, or what, what we sense he was showing us, is that um, this speaks of his servants, an Elijah-like spirit, a John yes. the Baptist-like uh, uh, word, uh, who, who, who is crying out to the church, yes. saying, hey, it's time. <clears throat> Behold, the bridegroom cometh. So we, we see in, in Tyson's shadows here, the spirit of Elijah, we see a John the Baptist-like uh, ministry in the end times who is fully awake. God's servants are fully awake in the end times, and he is speaking to them. And then they, in turn, speak to the church and cry out to the church, listen, wake up, wake up, he is coming. And obviously yeah. the, the, the five foolish versions don't have the necessary oil to interpret or understand their message. Yeah, um, and then the wise do it, it clicks right. They have that that, that 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 spiritual awakening. Like, oh my God, that's what I've been feeling for years. That's yes. exactly the word of the Lord, right? Yes. So so that's that's what that cry represents. It represents a prophetic voice in the end times that God will use. He's always going to use a forerunner, a forerunner yes. ministry before he comes, and they will wake up the church and the church. Uh, uh, you know, uh, will the true church will acquiesce to that call and and and, and go after the Lord the, because that's what John the Baptist said. He he came to make ready a people for the coming of the Lord. Yeah. So that's yes. where we see a beautiful uh, picture of that. There's a there's a verse. I don't think it's a coincidence, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, that uh, the Book of Malachi gives us a hint of this, and it's literally right. yeah. the precursor to the verse. To the last verse, if you don't mind, if I can read it in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is the message. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, 
lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And the way I interpret that, that there is a, he, he's telling us he's going to give us a warning, you know, right before this comes. He's going to send a prophetic voice. That's what Elijah was to the nation, right? Yeah. <laughs> to the nations of the world. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we find that as the two last verses of the Old Testament, a warning which leads up into what we're speaking about, a cry that was made, right? That yes. awoken the ten virgins. So just wanted to point out. And again, out. <clears throat> the cry at midnight, uh, you know, the when when it's dark, you know, dark outside, right? And <clears throat> what you just quoted there too in the Malachi four, five, uh where and six where it talks about it's very interesting when we consider that. Because what's being prophesied there is what you've already discussed and, and Brother Fernando is that the spirit of Elijah or Elijah himself is promised and predicted to come. We saw that uh, the forerunner that and Jesus identified John and, and the angel Gabriel also identified John as carrying the spirit of Elijah and that he would go before the Lord because a king always has his arrival announced ahead of time yes. that he's coming, right? right? And, and so we have this herald. But one of the things Brother Jeremy just pointed out there in Malachi 4, 6, which I find very interesting, is that it is going to be necessary uh, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, unless the Lord, unless the Lord come and smite the earth with a curse. And, and, and that's right. really powerful because it, it shows that the climate of that time, just before the appearance again of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord, will be such where the family structure has been completely broken down where the children no longer have desire towards their fathers or their fathers toward their children because the climate is so insane that would necessitate the Lord actually coming and cursing the earth because it's become so bad. It kind of harkens to the days of Noah uh, teachings that we did, right? Violence upon the face of the earth, so forth and so on. But it also right. reference, it also references the uh, the Jewish nation and, and, and so forth and so on, and the generations turning back to the to the word of God, which was once delivered to them by their fathers. And also it shows a personality or, or a feeling amongst the fathers that the children are unreachable. And it's going to require a prophetic word, a word yes. from Elijah to announce, this is it. A cry at midnight is being made. The bridegroom is coming now. See, the Marty, the also, yeah, the, go ahead. The, also the word midnight, uh, means a time of moral stupidity and <laughs> darkness. <laughs> yeah, that's what it means yeah. in the original. Wow. That's incredible. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right, and, and so um, that that kind of goes right along with what we're talking about because that that that's what the cry is about. Right, it is at midnight at a time of moral stupidity. And what else did you say, Matt? Of darkness. Of darkness. Well, brothers yeah. and sisters, I, I can't think of a more morally stupid and dark time exactly. than we're living in right now. <laughs> well, well, brother, right? um, you know, it, it's powerful oh, without a shadow of a doubt. As you're speaking about, um, as you're speaking about the condition of how more so morally divided sons and daughters, the families are being broken. Uh, Paul would tell Timothy, and one of the keys that we know that we are in the last days, it says there that uh, they would mm -hmm. be disobedient to parents. But there, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, is not talking about like just, oh, uh, go clean up your room. I'm not going to do it. No, it's talking about something more. 
more deeper than that. It's a yeah. conscience by the children. It's a conscience um, decision rebellion. that they make, rebellion, that they will not submit to their parents. And that's why right. it's so powerful with, with, with everything we're saying, but what you said specifically right now, that it's going to take a prophetic word that has yeah. the power to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. And uh, I wanted to bring that out. You said that, brother. Yeah, you know, that's interesting, brother, because you started out, you know, greeting, the, you know, and talking about fatherhood when we started this, because, you know, that's interesting. Because, and let's encourage people, because I don't care where your kid is right now, or even where your father is right now, or where your husbands are, or whatever. It's that it's the spirit behind what he's saying. This this Elijah-like anointing, and we know from the book of Revelation that it appears Elijah himself, along with either Enoch or, or Daniel or Moses, whoever you want to throw in to be with him, I, I believe it's probably Moses, is going to appear uh, in the last days in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's what it says. They'll come back and, and so forth and so on. But back to uh, before I get too far off here, I wanted to just talk about the turning of the heart. Uh, because the message of Elijah is 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 God is coming, Jesus is coming, and, yes. and he's coming yes. for for two purposes. One is to rescue his 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 children, and two to send fire and judgment upon the earth of the ungodly, like we read in Jude a few days ago, where Enoch prophesied that the Lord would come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all the ungodly. So. This quality and power of anointing, which sends fire down from heaven, if you read the account of Elijah, the original Elijah in, in, in Kings, 1 Kings 18, think about what we're saying here. If, if the message is so powerful, and it will be, um, the turning of the heart, it reveals that I don't care what's happened. I mean, you might be hardened towards each other. You might have separated. You might have given up on each other. But when the real message comes and the illumination or the smacking right up in the face of, of the fact that these, this is it. I mean, Jesus is coming. Yes. The first thing that happens, no matter how hard or how disappointed you've been, whether a child or a father, and I'm speaking of parents or children or whatever, relationships in general, it it has the power to turn the heart because deep down inside you know you love that person. And and God yeah. by the spirit of Elijah is going to alert a whole class of people, a whole group of people that this is it, and it will turn their hearts back to their fathers and sons back to their fathers and fathers back to their children, so to speak. Yeah. Because deep down yeah. inside you love that boy. You love your mom. You love your dad. You love your aunt. You love your uncle, whatever it may be, right? You love your niece and nephew. You love those people. And and, and we've gotten so hard and so out there and, and, and so dismissive. Brother Fernando, you talked about that yesterday when you talked about the taking of the oil. And you said, I'm not just talking to you about some dinner prayer. Or some, or some God bless my day, right? You said we, we, we need to get so yeah. deeply serious in intercession that we yeah. out of love and concern for the people that yeah. we that's yeah. the spirit of Elijah. That's yes. that laboring in prayer and the taking of oil for our loved ones, our neighbors, our communities, whatever. 
so it, it, it shows here that that it's going to be that's <laughs> think about you what know, we have what? it's it's funny ahead, it's, it's like we have to we have to clarify you know when we speak about prayer nowadays that it's not some religious exercise or duty that we do i mean <laughs> seriously you know what i mean it, it's yeah. going to get to a point where it's going to be your lifeline your dependence mm-hmm. you get what i'm saying the times that yeah. are coming you, you're not going to be like, well, is it works or not? You know, am I being too religious? No. <laughs> it's going to get yeah. to the point where you're, you're going to, Jesus, Jesus went to Gethsemane. My gosh. In, in his passion, right? Yeah. In his agony. He, he, he fell on his knees. He was heading to his cross. He had no other resource. Yes. That was yes. it. And that's why yeah. things are happening the way they are. Yeah. It has to be our only hope. It has to be our only strength. You know, if this what? if this doesn't get you to to hit your knees, this pandemic, mm. all this chaos, I don't know what will. Mm. If this is if if this is not the worst of what is to come, I'm afraid. You yeah, and I mean? we better if be. It's going. To, yeah, I'm. It, it's going to get worse. And and if you can't fall on your knees and just cry out to God a simple prayer. He's only he's as close as the mention of his name. That's the beauty of it. Just the name of Jesus, right? So absolutely. It's powerful because we're talking about the power of prayer and we're also talking about Elijah, right? And what does James say? Look what he says. He says that he was a man subject to like passions as we are, he says. But yet he prayed. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. So think about the level, and it did not rain. Think about the level of intercession and the prayer life that this man had. And he says he was a man of passion just like you, Brother Marty, and you, Brother Fernando, because I'm the commas here. But just like you guys, and look at that. He had a prayer life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm being nah. facetious. No, but, but no, 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 what you're saying we're there a is correlation very... here. Is very yeah. vital, you know, that why James said that, right? You know, that he was a man of like passions. He wasn't referring to our weaknesses. What he was referring to was that 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 don't think because it's Elijah, right? That Amen. because yes. in other words, it's not unattainable for you. And and this is That's being good. made by by the half brother of Jesus, right? This is this is James, the half brother of Jesus who who de- who developed such a prayer life they say tradition tells us that he wore grooves in the yes. limestone of the temple courtyards there where he would kneel and pray Hallelujah. every day and that his Hallelujah. his knees my god his knees Hallelujah. became like camel's knees because he mm. sought god and his brother his elder brother Jesus Christ right he sought him with such fervency and so when he yeah. makes the statement, like you just quoted there, really great reference there, brother. Um, he's a man of like okay. passions. He knows. He goes, you can, he, and then he lays out the case, right? The effectual, he says, yeah. the way that the prayer is made effective is that it must have a fervency, right? It's a fervent mm. prayer. Uh, and it must come from a life that has been consecrated and made righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ. These components must be there. And he says, we're all just people. 
We're all common. We're all the same. Elijah was just like you. So don't put him up there on that pedestal and think, well, that's just Elijah, because that just gives you an excuse to, to, to not develop the kind of prayer life that is going yes. to be required, like, like you're talking about, like Brother Fernando was talking about, like what you're quoting about. It, it's, it's, that, it's that prayer life. It's that, that spirit of Elijah um that 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 the cry is made at midnight right in verse six just to get back and, and and try and finish this off here we're obviously not going to be able to finish this today because there's at least another you know 45 minutes to an hour right and we've only gotten to verse six now <laughs> so yeah. we've been going at this for three days you know over three plus hours of, of teaching on, on the parable of the end of the world church. And that's why it's so important because the cry is being made. And like yes, Brother Fernando yes. pointed out, uh, it, yes. the, the fact that a cry is made indicates that not everybody was asleep, that there are Hallelujah. those and servants God. of God that, that he awoke well in advance of this so that they could enter into that place and position where they would begin to cry out to the body of Christ, the ten virgins, and say, wake up, you know, wake up. It, the cry indicates that fervent cry. It's a cry. It's not a nice, a nice, gentle, three points in a poem sermonette from your latest fair-haired boy in the megachurch circuit, right? It's not that guy. <laughs> Trust me. Right. That ain't going right. to be the guy that you're going to hear this message yeah. from. And the and the Lord said He will have the quality of a cry. Can you guys look up yeah. cry? I don't even, what does the cry mean in in the in the Greek? Do you have access to that real quick? Let me see. It means uh, an outcry, um, a tumult, grief, clamor. Uh, let me get deeper into the root. Um, a croak. A, a croak. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, what else? A loud call. Uh, Loud call. Yeah, loud call. A loud call. Okay, so uh, what we cry, have here is... To cry or pray for vengeance. Oh. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I mean, right. Be, I, yeah. mean, I mean, think of that. I mean, we could just camp there for a minute. So in the cry is is intense emotion. Yes. It's It's almost like you're overcome, right? I can do nothing but cry. John the Baptist said, they asked him, who are you? Are you right. are you the Christ? Are you the prophet Moses talked about? What did he say? I'm just a voice, what? Crying. Right. Right. <laughs> in the wilderness. Yeah. I, I, it's like I'm yeah. overcome. So he had that spirit of Elijah. And this cry is that same spirit. It, it Elijah's cry was twofold, right? For vengeance or for salvation. You choose. Uh, the God that be God, let him answer by fire. If God, uh, if God be God, then serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him and go to hell. Basically, is what he was saying. You know, you do what you want, but but it's a fervent, it's an overtake. Ah, oh my gosh. I mean, we'll be here until next Christmas, man. At this rate. But look, <laughs> if you dig into that, what we're literally saying too is the identifying marker of the true ministry at this time. It's going to have yes. This fervency attached to it. It's oh, going to have yes. this yes. kind of fire. Yes. It, and and think of it, it requires that. Because we're actually, I mean, 
You're going to walk up to an Antifa guy in your unconsecrated way and try to win him to Christ? Are you kidding me? You know, what are they going to do? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or let's where? talk it over. Let's sit down. Let's let's have a cup of coffee and talk. Yeah, oh, exactly. You're gonna need the power of the Holy Ghost in this <laughs> right. hour. You, you know, brother. Let's have a, let's have a <laughs> coffee and a donut, man. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's gonna, gonna work. That's gonna change the culture. <laughs> Give me a break. Oh Give me a break. I tell you right. what, man. Uh, that's where we are, though, and and it's necessary because Jesus wanted to 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 us to understand who to listen to, who to listen to at midnight, mm-hmm. and and who it is that that really has a message that shatters the the slumber and the sleeping uh, of a church that 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 went out to meet the bridegroom, and and look at the difference in verse one and verse. And verse six, right? In verse one, there's a triggering event that sends them out to meet the bridegroom, but it didn't say that the bridegroom was coming, did it? <laughs> no. It, they thought so. They moved forward, but they didn't have enough light yet. And they didn't, you know, there's still things that had to be fulfilled, but it was headed to the midnight hour. Now, when the midnight hour arrives, they're not just traveling along the road to meet him. It's a definite declaration. He is coming. And that is the message that is going to identify the true ministry in this time. It is twofold. The bridegroom is coming. It's delivered with an outcry, a loud cry, for both to get the church to, to, to ready itself and, and, and receive the end of our faith, which is our salvation, and also to preach within that message that judgment or the vengeance of the Lord is coming upon a wicked and untoward generation because of its rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's a twofold yes. message. He's coming. Yes. And then yes. and then the, the second part of the message is go you out to meet him. And when we return on Monday, <laughs> we'll go to mm. part four because this is just beginning. Okay, we've arrived at the midnight hour. We're talking about the kind and the class of minister that you need to listen to now. I'm telling you, you're not going to make it if you go back to that Starbucks donut dunking, tap dancing, (laughs) gel hair wearing, you know, tattooed, you know, unbuttoned shirt down to my navel kind of preacher. That ain't going to happen. As a matter of fact, right. don't go listen to anyone, uh, you know, uh, uh, under under eighty. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> you know, can we say, Brother Marty? As I know, we're getting ready to close. That yeah, as as the bridegroom approaches, there's going to be very specific cries. Yes. Subsequently, I, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. And that you have to watch out for. And there's a specific cry, right? Remember in the beginning, they heard something prompted. So they heard something. And now in verse 6, we see a more intense cry. You could say that, right? As the the bridegroom draws near, as the coming of the Lord is near, we have to have ears to hear, you know, because there are many voices. But there's a specific cry we we have to be listening that are gonna that that are coming, 
And so right. uh, I just wanted to bring that out because it, it, it's a uh, it's very specific. It was a very specific cry, a cry that said, "Behold, the bridegroom cometh." That's not yes, what we're and, hearing and today in our churches. No, but that's not what we're, we're hearing. In our... Go ahead, brother. Our, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, this is really, really opened up, right? So, you know, the the cry uh, indicates the the anointing. The kind of cry is both salvation and and a message of salvation and save yourself and, and also vengeance. You know, he's coming yes. to judge. The message is the bridegroom is coming. He's addressing the church. You know that that it's time to get up and 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 go out to meet him. He's coming. And then it says that the cry was made. Right. The word made is 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 a powerful word because it it means to become or to come into existence. So it's talking about a cry that comes into existence at the midnight hour, which if we just stop for a second and think about that, it implies that it hasn't been happening. It has to come into existence and it's something that becomes something. All of this deals with the kind and the quality of minister and ministry being developed. And in the shadows, because remember when Elijah showed up, right? There's no resume giving given of him in First Kings chapter 18. It's just it just or seven or wherever it is, 17, 14, 15, 16, 17 in there. He it just says that it just declares his name, and there he is. He's fully grown, right? Of John, right. it talks about he was in the deserts until the time of his showing forth. Then he shows up and begins right. to preach. Behold, the Lord is coming. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same kind of feeling here. It indicates an absence of correct message that must be, that must come into being. It will yes. burst upon the scene, almost like, you know, like like the startling of the backfiring of a car when you're in traffic, or, or or the or the or the piercing of a of of, of a voice, or you you're startled by someone that you weren't expecting. It's that kind of a feeling. And I think like you guys were saying earlier, that 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 the whole culture of, of the religious establishment has been so dumbed down that when this begins to go forward in, in great power and the message being distinguished by two things, it's not just get saved, it's Jesus is coming. And it is filled also with a warning that his coming is going to produce his judgment as well upon a wicked and ungodly world, and you need to repent while you still have a chance. But then the second part is where we'll begin to touch on on Monday, and that is the second part of the message speaks of having to go out to meet him, to go out and meet him. And that harkens where we'll we'll, we'll, we'll look at it and dig into it much deeper come Monday, uh, to the Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, where the command is given in the end time to go out of her, my people, to, to leave this false church, to separate and to break fellowship. The command is given that the sheep will have to come out. His true church is going to have to, to, to disassociate itself with a compromised and 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 wicked, really sensual, without the spirit, having no oil church, the foolish. We cannot stay 
in the compromised religious establishment anymore. And that's hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. But understand that fellowship, a new fellowship is about to be established. It is a fellowship of the wise. It is a fellowship of those who have taken the time to allow the spirit to develop the quality of character and personality while they have time to gather the oil necessary. And their fellowship is not going to be with the foolish. They can't fellowship anymore. Suddenly, there's not even a connection that can be made. But remember, there's five of them. They go into the wedding together. So that speaks of fellowship. God is rearranging the church as we know it. Yes, we're going to see things go back to relatively whatever, you know, back to the way they were. But what you're going to see is 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 what we have seen, really, is a compromised, uh, hyper-charismatic cons- uh, Pentecostal church system which basically dominates Christian media around the world and all kinds of false prophets and false Jezebels and false words and pseudo-spirituality. It was bad before all this coronavirus and riots and, you know, the world movie, AI, and you know, the global state, all this stuff. Before this stuff started coming to the forefront as it is now, they were already bad. Well, they're going to continue to be bad. As a matter of fact, they're going to join themselves to the very system that will actually demand their life. And that's what we'll see as we go on in this parable, because that's what Jesus reveals. They will take the mark. They are the falling away. But God is assembling out of this. Now, listen to what I'm about to tell you, because I believe this is what Jesus is revealing to the end time church as well. That when the cry begins to go forth, and 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 when the declaration of the coming of the Lord uh, is beginning to, to, to come forth with the spirit of Elijah in full force, that those who have, been asleep or now are awake, they suddenly realize because they are the ones who took oil and developed a relationship with the Lord and they have that ability, suddenly things will become clear and, and the oil will light their way and that God will assemble them together as a fellowship. That's the five wise. There's more than one, right? There's five. And, 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 and it, a new church is being born, even as we're speaking right now. See, many people are wandering the landscape of, of the events of our of our culture right now and what's taking place in society on a global scale, and they're almost disillusioned and unsure as to what to do. And and the spiritual amongst them especially, you know, uh, they, they're wondering, where do I go? What do I do? How do I connect now? Well, God is telling us, come out. Go ye out. Is you're not going to find him in what you always knew before. This is a different hour. This is a midnight hour. This is a time when he's assembling the wise who have oil, and that is your fellowship. Collectively, we have insight, but together the five will illuminate a brightness that they have not known before. And in the midst of this absolutely insane world that has been plunged into darkness, there will be a fellowship whose path is clearly lit by the Spirit, and it will lead us all the way home. We'll look more into that on Monday. We pray you have a blessed weekend. Hug your dad. Say hello to your grandpa, <laughs> whatever, an uncle, a brother. <laughs> yes. Have a, great, have a great Father's Day. And ultimately, we thank God for our Heavenly Father who loved us so much that he sent his son that we might know him and be saved by the one eternal king, the king of kings, the bridegroom who we know is on his way. Jesus is his name. 
God bless, Brother Jeremy. Brother Fernando, anything else before we close? Amen. We pray that... uh, All right, yes, no, we pray that you uh, enjoy, as Brother Marty said this weekend, with uh, your fathers, as a father, or if you have your father. And man, what a what a Bible study today. Uh, uh, we were just, it just seems like we could be here for hours. <laughs> but for your <laughs> Easily. Sake, you know, for your sake, we'll, 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 we'll come back Monday. But this is a lot of good food to chew on, a lot of revelation that God is giving us. And, you know, what our prayer is, and, and I know... Um, I know that I speak for, for my brothers, all of us together, as, as I say this. The desire of these podcasts, not just to bring you, you know, revelation and speak to you about the deeper things of God. It's we simply want to be obedient and be a voice in this wilderness in this hour. That's all we say, God. Help us simply to be a voice in this hour. Do your people. And so that's why we solicit your prayers. We solicit your prayers to pray for us. Pray for yeah. us that, that God would allow us to go deeper and, and, and to make and to leave a mark in this generation. Hallelujah. To be a voice, as John the Baptist, just the cry, a voice in the wilderness. So we pray that the Lord blesses you, that the Lord keeps you. And as we say here, keep looking up.